Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. I am pretty strict with myself, and I think this is this has paid off really well in my career, of choosing opportunities where I feel like I have an unfair advantage at succeeding at that opportunity. That unfair advantage is really, really key. Three, two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. I am Mike Veldhuis, business owner of the Dutch IT company Nalta and podcaster from the Netherlands. I just love the Women in Tech podcast by the talented Esprit Devora. It's made with passion and creativity. It gives insight into the world of inspirational women from all around the globe. But most of all, it's fun to listen to. Esprit Devora truly is the girl who gets it done. Today's personal spot is about being comfortable saying no. I get asked for so many things all day long. And if I don't know my own boundaries, limitations, my own desires, and if I lead with people pleasing or um, being afraid of FOMO and missing out on an opportunity, I'm not living my life authentically in the most enjoyable way. And I'm not even allowing space for people to get to know the real me, the real me and what my true needs are. And the truth is the people that genuinely care about me want to know my needs They because they want to be as loving as they could be, whether that's in business or in my personal life. I mean, one of my close friends and I were talking about it yesterday, how they had a tendency to people please at the start of relationships and then their partners never truly got to know who they really were because they spent, you know, the first six months just trying to be what the other person needed them to be. It's so important to become comfortable. I don't even know if comfortable is the right word, but just even just to have the courage to share, you know, what we truly need and who we are and say no when we need to say no. And and if someone else is is disappointed in that in us, we'll just deal with it at that moment and in, again, like the most honest way we can. I don't know about you, but for me, it's really, really comf- uh, uncomfortable to set set those boundaries and say no, but we have to or else it just zaps all of our energy. Anyway, hope that helps. Enjoy the next episode. Women in Tech podcast, celebrating women in tech around the world. So excited for our next guest. She is making noise on the internet. So excited for Wes from Toronto to be with us today. Hey, Wes. Hey, Esprit. I love your intro. (laughs) (laughs) I told you I get a little bit loud. Wes, off the record, we were we were talking and Maven, your company, is the talk of the town, the tech town right now. This is so exciting. Go ahead. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. I'm Wes Kao and I'm co-founder of Maven. 
Maven is a new startup that makes it really easy for creators to build cohort-based courses. So cohort-based courses are basically the opposite of what most people think of when they think of online courses. Usually you think of courses on Udemy, Teachable, LinkedIn Learning that are static. It's basically a series of pre-recorded videos and there's no community, there's no interaction. You basically learn by yourself and it's really hard to keep yourself accountable. I mean, I've signed up for hand lettering calligraphy course and a classical music appreciation course on, I think, Skillshare that I watched probably half a lecture of. And, you know, for the past seven years, it's been gathering digital dust. So basically, cohort-based courses are the opposite of this. Cohort-based courses are all about live learning together with a community of other like-minded professionals. So you could be taking a course on UX design or on crypto or leadership and management, and you're learning with fellow operators over a set period of time, whether that's three days, a week, three weeks, six weeks, and you're really learning together. So it's much more engaging. The completion rates are much higher you know, with, with pre-recorded courses, it's anywhere between six to 10% completion, but with court-based courses, it's 75% completion and up because it's just much more fun of an experience and much better in terms of learning outcomes. So that's what I'm building a new platform for making it really easy for anyone to be able to create this and reach their community this way. I mean, new platform that everyone wants to be on. I can't wait to get into the background of your story and all the things, but it wouldn't be right if I didn't ask first, what inspired you to create Maven? Well, before starting Maven, you know, rewinding five, six years before I co-founded the Alt-MBA with Seth Godin. And the Alt-MBA was really one of the first commercially successful cohort-based courses that really kicked off this entire category. So back then in 2014, when Seth and I were first designing what eventually became the format for core-based courses, online learning, you know, the default format was pre-recorded courses. And, you know, thinking about how do we get a bunch of people on the internet together, learning and collaborating, working on projects together, critiquing each other's work, giving each other feedback, all entirely online, you know, was, was this possible? I was kind of skeptical about it, but... Since our first cohort in 2015, I was blown away by how bringing the right people together online, giving them the guardrails for the course and introducing themselves, to, introducing them to each other uh, created such a vibrant community. So people were meeting each other off of our official channels. They were creating their own Slack channels. They were DMing each other. They were, they were creating subgroups, you know, outside of the subgroups that we had created for them. Um, and we had we realized that we had stumbled on a format that could work and could scale. So I was at Alt MBA for three years and scaled our dream, our idea from zero students to thousands of students in 45 countries and 500 cities. And after three years, I thought, all right, you know, was there something in the water at the Alt MBA that allowed all of this to work, or is there something about the cohort based format that was special. And so for the next two, two and a half years, I worked directly with other creators to help them build and create and grow their courses. So I worked with Professor Scott Galloway at Section 4, with Alex and Austin, the co-founders of Morning Brew, with uh, David Perel at Rite of Passage, Tiago Forte at Build a Second Brain, um, Outlier.org, which was started by the co-founder of Masterclass, 
So really going super knee deep, obsessing about court-based courses. And along the way, I realized that every one of these creators, every one of these organizations had the same struggles and challenges on the technical side. Creating a court-based course was such a labor-intensive slog of a process. We were cobbling together a bunch of different tools, ranging from Zoom to Slack to Podia, Kajabi, Teachable, Mighty, Circle, using Zapier to stitch it all together, using Google Calendar and email to remind students of when upcoming upcoming sessions and workshops were. And so students were confused because we were pointing them to a bunch of different platforms. And then the, on the operational side, the course creator side, it was also a headache to have to manage all these different platforms. And I personally have stayed up way too many nights trying to troubleshoot and debug why one integration stopped working all of a sudden, you know, why a zap stopped working, why this, you know, stopped being able to do the thing we wanted to do. And I realized that creators don't want to be messing around with the technology. This is not the thing that they are excited about. They are excited about engaging with their audience and teaching what they love and, uh, and talking about their craft, but they do not want to be troubleshooting tech. So, so that was really the, the inspiration for starting Maven was just wondering, like, I can't believe no one else has built a platform yet that was catering to this, this, this swelling, this growing groundswell of core-based courses, this trend that I was seeing. Um, and so, you know, when Goggin and I got back in touch last summer, um, about a year ago, we got on the topic of core-based courses and realized that both of us are really excited about this being the future of education and thought, you know, if no one else is building something for this, why don't we build it? And not to make any assumptions, can you tell us a little bit about Seth Godin and who he is? Because I just don't want to assume all our listeners know. Yeah, for sure. Seth Godin is a marketing legend. He's written 18 best-selling books on marketing, including The Purple Cow, Lynchpin, The Dip, um, a bunch of, of books that uh, have really shaped marketing, modern marketing today. He's been a teacher, uh, speaker, author for the past 30 years or so. So when we started the Alt-MBA, we were uh, wanting to capture all of this amazing content and all these amazing frameworks that he had come up with that had really shaped innovation, creativity, marketing, thinking for the past couple of decades and turn it into an interactive format that uh, was was more community-driven and less static than, let's say, just books. And speaking of marketing, one thing about Alt-MBA and now Maven is, I mean, these are sought-after things. When Alt-MBA like, first kicked off, everybody wanted to be in Alt-MBA, and now it's the same thing with Maven. What is is that one unique thing that you are doing to to get everyone talking about you every time you're working on something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't know if there's a, a formula to it, but one thing that I really think about is how do we serve our customers and how do we get audiences excited? A lot of the times if you're creating something, you can get really stuck in your own head and get super obsessed and excited about something. And you kind of forget to explain to other people why they would be excited. Like that's definitely happened to me before. And I learned over the years that 
I need to explain to other people why this is good for them, why this is exciting for them, why this helps make their life easier or how this helps get them closer to their goals and makes them more of the person that they want to be. You know, so really thinking about products or or services or yourself in relation to your customer as someone who is serving your customer. They're the hero. You're kind of, you're Yoda helping them, uh, supporting them, getting them to where they want to go. I feel like that audience first, community first, customer first ethos was so core to Alt MBA from the very beginning. And same, same with Maven. You know, one of the concepts that I've been exploring uh, this week, uh, it's evident that you've already succeeded in understanding this, is outcome versus intent. Really great heart-driven founders sometimes have the intent to create something spectacular. Therefore, they believe that they have created something spectacular because their intent is so pure. However, the the person who truly caters to the outcome and the, the lifestyle experience the customer is having with their product is the person who wins, not the person that just has the intent to create it. So if someone is utilizing an app, but the app doesn't play music at the same time that they're using it, and that's not how they want it to function. It doesn't matter how great your intent is. The app's not functioning in the way that that person doing exercise wants it to work, you know? And so I think that you've just extraordinarily mastered really understanding the outcome and the lifestyle experience people want to have while using your product and your programs. Yeah, this is something that I remind myself of and my team of every week that no one cares about Maven. No one cares about us. They only care about themselves and what we can do for them. So it really doesn't matter if we have good intent or if we have this amazing strategy, we have all this great thinking behind the scenes. If it doesn't translate to an easy to use, delightful experience, (laughs) that's selfish on our part because we're taxing the customer. We're taxing instructors or creators or, or our audience. Yeah, like any amount of cognitive load I think is is totally unacceptable, which I think is is kind of extreme sounding, but you know, I think all of us, like when we're using apps or 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 sites or products, you know, when something doesn't work as expected, it's really frustrating, you know? And I think, you know, we're still early stage. We're still pre-product. We're only a year in. So so Maven is going to have bugs. There's going to be things that are not as beautiful as as it'll eventually be. But we are constantly thinking about how do we make life easier for our customer and try to take on as much of that responsibility on solving things that could add cognitive load so that we we don't tax the customer. How did you get in touch and and form a partnership with one of the most prolific authors um, in our day? Like what what was that story? It was actually very, very serendipitous and completely random. So so at the time I had just spent a bunch of years at a Sequoia-backed startup in San Francisco. And Sequoia is uh, one of the largest venture capitalists in the world. Yes, yes. Thank you for the context. I was wrapping up my time there and kind of thinking, you know, what do I want to do next? I had also grown up in the San Francisco Bay Area my entire life, went to college there, you know, worked there uh, after college and was excited about seeing something new. Uh, and and like many people in SF, I thought New York sounds like a great place to go, a great place to check out. So I started looking at some roles in New York. 
kind of casually. And a friend of mine knew that I was thinking about New York and sent me a blog post that Seth Godin had written saying, hey, I'm looking for a special projects lead for six months to help me figure out what I should do next. He had just sold his previous company that he had worked on for almost a decade. So he was kind of at a crossroads thinking about what's that next big thing that I really want to invest in and looking for a thought partner to bounce ideas, do some analysis, help him figure it out. And it sounded like the perfect role. And so I tossed my hat in the ring. I applied on a whim and the application was, you know, I think it was a Google form. And then you also had to make a video. You had to make a a two or three minute video pitching yourself, explaining what you want to learn, what you want to build, what you want to contribute. And I did my video in one take. I kid you not. I did it in one take because I thought I wasn't going to get this anyway. And I'm I'm definitely an overthinker. So I have spent way too much time thinking about every situation that could possibly happen, trying to trying to plan for every situation. Um, and I'd been, you know, I was working on that. And I was like, okay, the chance of me getting this is pretty slim. So I'm going to just do this in one take, submit it and and just kind of, you know, move on, just ship it and get it out of the way. The next thing I know, a couple days later, I get an email from Seth Godin himself in my inbox. And he says, hey, Wes, I thought your video and your application were really strong. Uh, I'd love to hop on an interview. Let's schedule a time. And I was in my living room, jumping up and down, like literally screaming up and down before, of course, writing a calm email, being like, yes, I would love to hop on an interview. We did a couple of rounds of interviews. I eventually moved to New York, packed my life into six suitcases, got an apartment sight unseen in this little town called Hastings on Hudson, which is just you know about 30 minutes outside of the city, which is where Seth's office is. Um, and I originally thought it was going to be a six-month project. And it ended up, you know, at the end of those six months, we came up with the Alt-MBA. And because it it worked, you know, we did this one session, uh, uh, this one cohort, and we thought it was just going to be an experiment. But it was, it was it blew so our expectations out of the water. It was crazy. Yeah. And so, yeah. So Seth is like, do you want to stay on and, and run this and lead this? And so that, you know, that ended up being a couple of years that, that really um, changed the way that, uh, that I thought my career was going to go. Who are your co-founders in Maven? My co-founders are Gagan Biani, who was the co-founder of Unimi, and Shreyan Spinsali, who was the first engineer, first employee at Venmo. How did that come to be? Gagan and I actually went to high school together. So we grew up in the same hometown. Uh, We went to college together too at Berkeley. We kind of kept in touch roughly throughout the years, but he reached back out when we were thinking of starting Maven because he had just come back from three years of doing sabbatical, traveling the world, and was wanting to get back into education and start an ed tech company. And he had heard about this thing called cohort-based courses and he said that everyone who we had talked to about court-based courses mentioned me. And he told them, I already know Wes, we're friends. I'm just going to send her a text and hop on a call. And, and that kind of kicked off us reconnecting and talking about what do we want to build. And your other co-founder, how did they get involved? We found Shreyans through Twitter. I think uh, Shreyans saw it's a like tweet. The, it's like <laughs> the hack of life. <laughs> right? Totally. It really is. We were so excited to find Shreyans uh, a couple months later through a tweet that one of us had put out. 
before we rewind and go back into your story, I want to give a shout out to to one of your course creators. But also, can you give us any actionable step of when you're first creating a, a course to start to get the word out there? And this is what like Seth Godin is known for is like how to get the word out there. What is one initial step, even if it's something so elementary that you, we hear it on all the interviews? What's that first step? Okay, I want to get my thing out there. What do you do? The first thing that I recommend all first-time course creators do is think about course market fit. So a lot of us have heard about product market fit, and this is this is a, a concept that's inspired by that. And it's basically the idea of thinking about why you are the right person teaching the right topic at the right time, at the right price point to the right target audience. So when all of these pieces come together, that's that's when you should start building your course. Too many course creators jump headfirst into starting to build and they expect they expect that, you know, they're going to launch their course and there's going to be a flurry of students lining up, banging down your digital doors trying to get in your course, and what ends up happening is crickets and tumbleweed. It's radio silence because, you know, you you might have built a course that no one actually wants. So the first thing that I always recommend for course creators is getting really clear on who is your target student? Why would they be eager to say, take my money to take a course from you specifically on this specific topic, you know, on the topic, you know, why is it a juicy, hairy, expensive problem that they want to solve, right? So it's really thinking about your course as a product and thinking about why would people want to buy this product before you jump straight into building it. Thank you so much. And speaking of courses, before we rewind, do you teach any of the courses? Yes. I teach our Maven Course Accelerator, which is a three-week cohort-based course that's entirely free. And it's for aspiring course creators who have been curious about turning their IP, their content, into a course. I teach that. And we have a bunch of coaches who work directly with you to help you narrow down your topic, figure out the scope, figure out your curriculum. We have time built in during the course, true to the CBC format. Um, There's a bunch of time during the actual course where you're putting together your curriculum, you're putting together projects for your students, you are sending out pitch notes to prospective students. So there's a lot of time to try and, and, and actually build per the, the idea of learning and doing at the same time. So that's that's a course that I teach on Maven. I want to, how do I sign up to be a part of that? That sounds great. It's free. You should totally be a part of that. I don't know why you aren't already. <laughs> I would love it. We'll, we'll talk about that af- after the interview. So one thing that was really different to me about Maven is from the get, it felt really integrity driven. Why do I, as a, a viewer of the internet's, pick up on the energy of integrity driven. What are you doing differently than these $1,997.97 things that are out there? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, one thing that's very deep in our core and our ethos at Maven is not being spammy internet marketers. I, I think like, you know, there's, there's so much of that online and it's kind of given online courses a bad, a bad rap. And so we're trying to change that. You know, one one way that we're doing that is partnering with instructors who have deep credibility in their subject matter, who are credible experts and operators who aren't fluff and bells and whistles and, you know, 
and and trying to uh, to trick audiences into into upsells and cross sells, et cetera, et cetera. So we're still pre product launch. So the way that we're bringing instructors on is through the Maven Course Accelerator, and we're handpicking every single instructor who's coming on right now. Eventually, we will be open, so anyone can go onto Maven dot com, click a few buttons and start building their course. But for now, because we are uh, still wanting to make sure our product is is tight and great before launching it to the general public, we're bringing on creators who uh, are are passionate about their space, who have an audience that trusts them, whose brand airs on the side of of integrity and substance and quality and rigor, like that is very, very important, especially for core-based courses compared to evergreen courses. With a core-based course, students are going to have higher expectations and and there's less room to hide. There's less room for BS. There's less room for fluff. You are live in a course, you know, in front of potentially a hundred students as the creator, as the instructor, and you don't have unlimited tries to edit a really polished video right? You are there lecturing live. You are talking to your students live. And if your students have a question that you're not able to answer because your material is fluffy, that's not going to be a good look for you as a creator. So, you know, so we, we think a lot about that, the quality piece. For those people who are heart-driven people that genuinely want to put something good out into the world like you and like me, what perspective can you give us of why create something? Let's even take like a, a podcasting course, right? So many people have asked me to create a podcasting course. I must get, I don't know how many people a day that ask me questions on how to podcast. It's crazy. I've had to become a master at setting boundaries, <laughs> but I don't have a podcasting course. And the reason is I'm like, there's a ton of podcasting courses and I don't want to take advantage of people. I'm like, so I just send them to like, I usually send them to Pat Flynn or I don't know, you know, like I'm just like, there's great people out there. There's great blogs. I'll send them a URL to a blog. I am under this like per perception of, I don't want to, I don't want to take advantage of anyone like and and why should I just clutter up the Internet? I feel like you have a really great perspective you could share with other people who feel the same way I do of like, why would you tell me, Esprit, you should create a course or would you say, no, Esprit, you're right. It's good that you haven't. Yeah, I love that you bring this up because I think so many of the best operators, the best creators, the best uh, experts feel a little bit self-conscious about charging for their expertise. Meanwhile, there are a bunch of people out there who are not thinking about that at all and, you know, cluttering the internet, spamming people, you know, they have not given a second thought ever to whether or not they should do, you know, they should be charging money for what they're teaching. Um, and so, so it, it really, it's, um, it's, I think it's a, it's a shame because if you are even thinking about, hmm, like I want to make sure that I'm creating something that that is rooted in integrity, that actually adds value, that isn't um, that isn't adding noise, that you are already way more thoughtful than, than so many people who are out there creating things. And we need more thoughtful voices. So I think that's, you know, that's, that's one point. The other thing is, you know, if there are a lot of other courses on an existing topic, thinking about what do you bring uniquely, whether you're 
spiky point of view is something that is going to attract a different a different set of students or serve a different group of people, um, I think is a, is a really good question to ask yourself. So there might be a ton of angel investing courses out there, for example. So Jason Calacanis has a course. He's an angel investor uh, in Maven. Arlen Hamilton is also an angel investor Love in Maven, her. and she also has a course, right? <laughs> Everybody so, check out our, our Women in Tech interview with Arlen Hamilton. She's amazing. <laughs> Arlen is amazing. I plus a thousand on that. So, okay. So, so Jason and Arlen are two very different people with different audiences, different styles, different perspectives, different communities that they're part of. And it would be a shame if Arlen saw that Jason had a course and thought, you know, I shouldn't teach an angel investing course, right? Or if Jason saw that Arlen had a course and said, oh, well, you know, Arlen's already doing it. I shouldn't do it, right? So there's a reason people are coming to you saying, you know, how can I learn to podcast? It's because they like your approach. There's something about your your way of being that is that is inspiring to them. And there, yes, there are a bunch of other places where they could learn from, but, you know, there are some things that they can only learn from you. I love it. Now, my most exciting part of our interview is when we get to rewind. When is that first moment in your life that you remember becoming really excited about technology? It's funny because I grew up in Silicon Valley and remember thinking all throughout my childhood that tech was lame and it was boring and 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 I wanted to get as far away from it as possible because it just it felt so close to home and just so so normal. In college, I did an internship at L'Oreal in New York, and I remember all of my friends at UC Berkeley at the time being so jealous that I was going to New York, that I was doing an internship in beauty um, and consumer goods, and and a bunch of my friends uh, at the time, you know, were were trying to do something similar. Uh, and I remember a friend of mine saying, like, "Oh, like I'm, you know, I my internship is boring. I'm going to do Google." And we both kind of lamented that she was she was going to Google for her internship. And it was just funny because since then, tech has become the hottest thing that everyone wants to be a part of. You know, back then it was not that cool. So I had a pretty roundabout path to getting back into tech, if you will. I think when I became really excited about tech was at the Alt MBA. Before that, I was at an ad tech company. It was an advertising tech platform. But I think at at that point, I still hadn't really seen the power of technology. Yeah, it was. I mean, really, this is the was, Sequoia back company, right? It yeah, doesn't I mean, get I was more excited about my work. <laughs> I know, I know. It was, it's kind of ironic. So, so yeah, I was, I was living, you know, I was living and working downtown San Francisco, you know, for a Sequoia back company. I still hadn't really felt it yet. I think when I, when it really became something that I internalized and viscerally felt the power of was at the Alt MBA, when I realized that the scale of what tech could bring in terms of community and in terms of fostering connection was completely next level because we had people from over a dozen different countries and you know dozens and dozens of cities participating in the first cohort of Alt MBA. And these were amazing people that would not have been able to travel to New York in person for a month to take this course and and to take time away from their, you know, their daily lives, their work, et cetera. But because of the internet, they were able to all log in multiple times a week to learn with a bunch of other strangers on the internet 
And I just think that that's, that's magical. As you're talking about all MBA and Maven, with all MBA, you just use the words like log into this course. And I'm like, and do you know, I've never thought of all MBA as a course. I mean, I know it's a course. I've just never thought of it that way. All MBA has always felt like an experience, a community, a way to have elevated learning at a more accelerated rate, like all these like experiential ways of describing. I've never thought of it like logging into a course. <laughs> you know, I think that must be your magic is that you don't create a course, you create an experience. Absolutely. I say logging into a course to, you know, kind of flippantly to show, you know, kind of clicking and, and kind of joining Zoom and Slack. But but yes, like the experiential aspect is the biggest thing in core-based courses. You know, if you just wanted to learn to do something, you could probably watch a bunch of YouTube videos and read a bunch of blog articles and kind of piece together that learning yourself. But recreating the experience of meeting a bunch of other professionals, a bunch of other designers or podcasters or Substack writers or crypto enthusiasts or women in product, you know, being able to meet a bunch of people who are on a similar path, on a similar journey, um, and having that defined sandbox to learn together is something that's that's really, really special. I think if we're lucky, we have a work environment where we can collaborate with people, we can brainstorm, they challenge our ideas, we challenge theirs. But, you know, a lot of people aren't as lucky to have that. Um, and so having a course, whether it's a couple days, a week, a couple weeks, a couple months, where you are working with the same group of people, working on a project or multiple projects, sinking in discussion groups, in breakouts, being able to challenge each other over over the, the, the duration of the course, becoming more vulnerable during the course, right? Like these are all things that are hard to recreate on your own. So that experiential aspect is a thousand percent. You're, you're completely spot on that that is the, the rare and scarce part of learning nowadays. I got really excited about the world of tech when I realized the power of the internet in connecting learners from around the world who otherwise would not have a chance to meet. And, you know, now Maven is a completely remote company. So, you know, now Goggin is in the Bay Area. I'm in Toronto. Our technical co-founder, Shreyans, is in New York. All our, our team members are everywhere. Our instructors and creators, over 100, are all around the world. Students, definitely from all over. And so, the the idea that we can create a platform and a space using technology that brings learners and creators, instructors, experts together, and then makes it really easy to learn together, I think is is really really special. And and it's all it's almost like it's almost removing the idea of technology from from the experience. Like I think really good technology doesn't feel like, oh, I'm using tech or I'm using a platform. Or, as you said, like I'm logging into a course, right? It doesn't feel like that. It just feels like you are doing something cool and learning and challenging yourself um, and the tech doesn't get in the way. So I think that's one of the most exciting things that the uh, most exciting parts about Maven for me, especially as someone who I think I don't consider myself naturally that tech savvy. 
But I think that's actually a strength in building a tech company because I point out all the time, this is confusing or this flow like needs to be more intuitive or like, I don't know what to click here. We need to make it easier so that anyone who comes on, on, you know, this page to, to craft their landing page or put together their emails for their course or log in to look at their course analytics, that they immediately know what to click. It's one of the most valuable things you could do is truly be, be the customer, be the student, be the member. Like, what is their experience? As you've been going throughout your career, what is a huge obstacle that you've successfully overcome and how did you overcome it? Ooh, yes, this is a juicy one. I think the biggest obstacle that I've overcome is worrying too much. <laughs> Same. <laughs> this is something that this is something that I actively started working on a couple of years ago, literally as a New Year's intention. Um, it's it's actually it's my New Year's intention this year for 2022. And the reason that I say that this was the biggest obstacle is because you know I had mentioned overthinking earlier. I think many times our biggest strengths are also our biggest weaknesses. Strengths and weaknesses I see as two sides of the same coin. It's basically a personality trait or a or an instinct, an inclination, a, an, an orientation that you have. Um, and one of one of my traits, which can also be a strength, is that I think about all the different ways that something could play out so that I can make the most strategic, informed decision possible. And I think about second-order effects. I think about positive or, or negative externalities. I think about, you know, a couple steps down the line, is this still going to be a good decision? I think about, you know, the other, the other things that might be impacted. And Sometimes that is the right level of thinking and other times it's too much. And I've noticed that there have been times, especially when building the Alt MBA, when building Maven, where I have to make decisions with limited information. I think that that is one of the the biggest things that you have to do as a founder, as a leader, as an operator is making good decisions, doing them at a good clip, at a good velocity. So for me, worrying you know, before I made a decision and then after created a lot of unnecessary cycles of emotional labor and strain that took up a lot of energy. So working on that as a more macro obstacle has made all the other daily, weekly, more tactical obstacles a lot easier to overcome. What would you suggest somebody listening right now? They're like, oh, I really really want to do my own thing. What's the best piece of advice that you've gotten that has helped you propel forward that may might be great advice for them as well? If I had to give a piece of advice for someone who's thinking about doing their own thing, I would say to be really practical and strategic about it. I think there's a lot of advice out there about chasing your dreams, just going out there and doing it, just giving it a try. I actually think that jumping the gun like that um, isn't always a good idea because morale is important, your own morale. And if you jump into doing something that you could have could have realized with, you know, an extra 10 minutes of thinking that that wasn't really a good idea, then you're going to get discouraged when that thing doesn't work. So I think protecting your own, your own emotional well-being, your emotional labor and morale is important. And doing a bit of upfront thinking about how are you uniquely suited to solve this problem will make you much more successful. So if someone on the street, a random person with effort and time could do the same thing, then I think you're starting the wrong business 
or, or going into the wrong project. I am pretty strict with myself, and I think this is this has paid off really well in my career, of choosing opportunities where I feel like I have an unfair advantage at succeeding at that opportunity. That unfair advantage is really, really key. And what is your unfair advantage in Maven? I would say that it is being obsessed with core-based courses for the past five to six years, you know, even before starting Maven. So knowing knowing our target customer extremely well, because A, I was that target customer, and B, uh, I worked directly with a lot of creators building their courses, and C, creating the category of core-based courses, designing it from scratch, knowing the first principles of of why core-based courses work from, from you know, creating one of the first core-based courses. Gog and I didn't have to do customer development in the traditional way because when we started the company, my last five years was customer development. So I think that's a really good example of, of an unfair advantage. I think, I think something else is, this is more from a personality perspective, I care a lot about quality and rigor and playing the long ter- long game. And I think cohort-based courses, the best ones succeed when they are not short-term spammy, just you know, trying to get a, a quick dollar out of your audience. These succeed when you are when you have built something of real value, where if your students graduated, they would say, I would do it again. Right? That they would they would say that that was a good decision um, that I would repeat. And I want to tell other people about it because I feel like it's going to be good for them. So that that orientation towards quality, towards integrity, towards rigor, I think is very much geared towards our product, Core-Based Courses, which is is about experts um, who care about quality, you know, and their community and wanting to create long-term relationships. I think that there are other, other products or categories where short-term turnarounds are better or, you know, like... It's 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 more okay to do that. Um, I've never felt great about kind of more aggressive marketing, and so I think with the way that we're building this company, with the category that we're in, my natural inclination towards quality, towards being a stickler around quality, um, lends itself really well. Awesome. A couple last quick fire questions. One is the best piece of advice that you've received. For example, my mom says every no is one step closer to a yes. <laughs> what what is that? What is a piece of advice that has really kept you strong as uh, you move forward in your life? This is advice from a one a day peel off calendar that I once saw at Alt MBA. I think someone had mailed it to Seth. Uh, to the to the office, and and I had it on my desk. But on one of the days, it said, "Bloom where planted," and I love that because I kind of tend to want to create great conditions to do the thing that I want to do. I want to make sure all the conditions are great before I want to move forward. I want all my ducks in a row, and that can be not conducive for taking action and shipping. So, bloom where planted reminds me that. Whatever your circumstances, there you can get started. You have whatever you need to get started, either planning something, thinking about something, moving to the next step. So, so stop waiting until all the conditions are perfect. You might not be able to get to where you want to go in one giant step, but you have what you need to get to the next step to get closer to where you eventually want to go. The truth of the matter is we never 
end up at the destination that we plan for, the only reason the destination even exists is just to kind of have a a GPS, like to know where to step next. But it's it's so cliche, but literally the journey is the exciting part. (laughs) Um, And then the journey usually takes you to so many different paths and it's choose your own adventure. and, And then you end up someplace more wonderful than you could have even imagined. And maybe sometimes not that you learn from, but it's still an amazing experience that you were able to learn from uh, in the process of creation. Uh, and I'm not I'm saying that from personal experience, not not to just say something sugarcoaty. I've experienced all the failures and I've experienced accolades and there's something special to all of them. I, I, just so genuinely. A creator that you suggest we follow, a podcaster, uh, a YouTuber, a blogger. I'd say Lenny Ruchitsky. He was an early product manager at Airbnb, and he now makes a living writing a Substack newsletter full-time, a weekly newsletter uh, on product and how to how to be a better product manager. And he also has a Maven course for junior product managers to get promoted. Oh, cool. That's a good one. And yeah, and- Pat Flynn, actually, oh, you, sorry, yeah, no, sorry to interrupt. Um, you had you had mentioned Pat Flynn earlier too. Um, Pat has a Maven course also. Oh, I don't know, I if didn't you, know that. If you knew that he has an SBI course. Yeah, yeah. Pat joined the Maven Course Accelerator um, last spring, and he and his team built a course. Uh, it's kind of meta. It's on how to build a great um, static course, a great evergreen course. <laughs> Uh, Pat Pat is such a nice guy. He's a he's yeah. amazing. He's so awesome. I love it's it. funny. I was just on. I was <laughs> I was just interviewed on his show, and at the end, he he asked me like, "What do I want to recommend?" or whatever the question is. And I said, "I recommend everybody check out your website. <laughs> you do a really good job." Oh my god, <laughs> he's I like, love You're it. Supposed to recommend you. That and is I'm like I don't know. Amazing. <laughs> what is a book that has really impacted your life, uh, either professionally or personally, that you suggest? Mine is The Alchemist. Ooh, okay. Let's see. Um, I think there's two that come to mind. One is The Psychology of Influence by Robert Cialdini. Mm-hmm. And the other one is High Output Management by Andy yes. Grove. Yes. Those are great recommendations. So good, right? Have you read both of those? Um, I, They're I listened on Audible. Does it count? <laughs> mm, yes, that totally counts for sure. Absolutely. Um, by the way, Kindle has been a life changer. FYI, I having my Kindle next to my bed, I definitely read more than I ever have in the last few years. Being that we live in a digital world now, like the Kindle, just super side note, but it's been a great purchase. If there's anything that we could do as a community, we have so many people around the world listening. What can we do to support and accelerate you and your success? Let's see. Well, well, first, thank you for that question. That's that's a really, really um, generous offer. I think the the biggest way to support me is to think about whether you might want to create a course or know someone who uh, might be interested in that. I think that there are so many, so many experts who have not come out of the woodwork yet because they, you know, might feel self conscious about charging for their expertise or aren't really sure if know, as you mentioned earlier, if there's too many courses out there already. Um, but I found that some of the best courses are from people who um, initially were a little bit reluctant about it, held themselves to a really high bar of wanting to create something that was high quality, that would really give back to their audience and um, and help their audience grow. So if, if, you know, if you've been thinking about potentially creating a course, I think give it some more thought, check out our website, 
we have a free course accelerator. So, you know, it's 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 a, a good way to dip your toe in and um, have a lot of support along the way to help you build. It's much easier to build when you have that community. So I'd say that that uh, if, if you're interested in doing a course, give it some more thought. Um, you could be you could be one of our next biggest course creators. How can people connect with you? I'm at at Wes underscore KO and uh, Maven is at Maven HQ on Twitter at W-E-S underscore K-A-O at M-A-V-E-N-H-Q. Wes, thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. Before we completely wrap up, I have one last question. It's a selfish question because I'm obsessed with like software and apps and productivity. What is your go-to software or website, mobile app? It could be anything. What, what is the one that you just can't live without? This is a new app that I just found literally three days ago. So uh, I don't know if I can't live without it yet, but it's been super helpful. It's called Text Expander. I've already been using it, you know, the last couple of days. I just downloaded it um, and, and I've already told a couple of people about it. So yeah, I've used Text Expander. Now they're cloud-based, but I've used it before they were cloud-based. It will save you so much time. Well, why don't you tell everybody what Text Expander does? Text Expander basically lets you type in shorthand that expands into longer text. So the shorthand might be, you know, semicolon, um, semicolon, thanks. And then you you type semicolon, thanks, and it expands into a paragraph or a couple sentences, whatever you link it with, of a thank you message. So you basically don't have to retype common things that you type all the time. Totally. So for example, you know, when you have to fill out the forms and you have to insert your bio and then your LinkedIn URL and your Twitter URL and your Instagram URL and all these things, and you have to do them over and over and over again. And so you probably have to go to your notepad and then copy it from somewhere or go to the website and copy the URL. With Text Expander, I just have semicolon TW, semicolon LI, semicolon IN, and then it just pastes that. And even for my bio, semicolon bio, and it just saves you so much time. Um, it's amazing. So anytime I'm doing something throughout the day where I feel like I'm doing a repetitive task, I just go over to my uh, text expander and make sure I have a snippet for it. Wes, thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast to connect and collaborate with more extraordinary women in tech around the world. Remember to go to at Women in Tech show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, and join the community, womenintechvip.com. I will see you guys, talk to you guys, all the things in the next episode. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Hey, I'm Wes Kale. I'm co-founder of Maven, and we make it really easy for creators to build engaging live online courses. I'm based in Toronto, Canada, and you're listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.